We're beginning a new series today, and uh, our new series is just on uh, everything about worship. Just what is worship? What does worship mean? And what is praise? And, and uh, today I'm going to be talking about the progression of worship. I'm going to be talking about the progression of worship through the years. I'm going to be talking about the progression of worship. Why do we do what we do? on Sunday morning. Why do we follow the format we follow? Did we just make that up one day and thought that this was a good idea? Or is there a biblical significance or reference to what we do in the idea of worship? And so uh, this, I'm really excited to be able to open our series on worship because I know that when we learn to worship, things happen. When you as an individual uh, learn what worship is about. There's uh, 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 endless things that occur in your life. Uh, I've said all along that one of my jobs as a pastor is to provide you the opportunity to have an encounter with God. And we encounter God in the place that we're, uh, we're lifting our hands to Him and worshiping Him, and we're going to see why in the Scripture today. It's interesting that, you know, the psalmist was just all about teaching us how to worship, teaching us what to do in worship, teaching us why we worship, what is the point of worship, when do we worship, how do we worship. And it's uh, amazing how it's, it's in the Word. Now, one of the things that I just want to talk about is the transformation of worship. How worship has transformed over the years. You know, the charismatic movement brought a whole renewal to the realm of worship. Everybody's a part of this renewal. Everybody tries to jump in and, and, and feel what we feel like through the songs that we sing and these types of things. Uh, but really, the charismatic movement opened up a whole new realm of worship in the body of Christ. So how did that occur? What was, what was the impetus for that? Well, the impetus was at the cross. And when Jesus went to the cross, and we've said this so many times, he opened up a pathway, the veil was torn. There was now complete access into that place to where we could have a personal experience with God. And in that personal experience, we learn things, we know things, we grow in things, we experience things that we've never got to experience before. And when you look at the inception of the New Testament church, it's just example after example after example of, of how the, this idea of the personal side of God has exploded. And we've been able to become who we are because of that intimate attachment that we have with Jesus. We know him in a way that uh, the, the early church didn't have the opportunity to know him. And so when it came to that place of the charismatic renewal or, you know, the outbreak of the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to define the charismatic movement uh, 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 in, and uh, it is so much more than both of those. And, uh, but my message today is not on the charismatic renewal, it is on worship, and so I'm not going to go into all of those things about the charismatic renewal, but what it did was, it changed the way we sang. It changed the way we worshiped, because we got to know God in a way that we were no longer singing at God, 
But now we were singing to God. We weren't singing at God just, and, and I'm not opposed to hymnals, I'm not opposed to any of that, so don't take this in, in, in that respect. But we weren't just saying, turn to page 354 and let's all begin to sing, you know. Uh, and we would sing that, that, same, that, that hymn together or whatever song we would sing together, and we would sing that at God, and we would uh, uh, use that as a part of our service of of singing and, and doing those things that we do, the difference in the charismatic renewal was is that it transformed the hearts of people. It touched you at a depth of who you were down deep into that spiritual area that out of you would flow rivers of living water, that out of you would flow something into God that you weren't just singing at him, but you were lifting your hands and singing to him. You were looking up and you weren't looking up or you weren't looking down at a page and singing at him. You were looking up to him and singing to him. And that's a huge difference in the idea of what worship was intended to be. And when we look at the idea of what the psalmist wrote, we can see that through every fiber, every thread, everything that was spoken about in the Psalms. You know, I was thinking when we were, uh, when I was preparing this idea of this progression of worship, I was thinking back to the idea of when, when the early charismatic movement came, it was scripture songs. And we started taking the, the, the scriptures and we would make songs out of them and and my wife has asked me not to sing these songs back to you today, but you will see that that's how the inception of the charismatic movement began with taking scriptures and then putting uh, music to them. And then we would sing those things back to God because one of the most intimate things that you can do is either pray or sing the scriptures because the, the word of God never returns void. Amen. And it never, um, uh, it, 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 it's never something that doesn't have a very present value to it. And so we began to sing those scripture songs. And then people said, these are so good that we're starting to now write songs. And the, the songs when the charismatic renewal uh, came in started to be songs of intimacy. Uh, they started to be songs of what you felt about God and, and, and how God tr transformed your life and how God had changed you from the inside out. And out of what he had done would come the expression of the intimate songs that were written. Now, I, I haven't studied this out totally, but I heard a testimony last week. We sang the song, we're going to raise a hallelujah. And uh, that song came out of a place of an encounter. Uh, that song came out of, and, and many of you know this testimony much better than I do, but the guy who wrote that song had a very sick two-year-old son. And they had taken him in and out of the hospital, in and out of the hospital, and it didn't look good for this young man. And this parent got to the place of desperation, knowing people around the world were praying but yet nothing was transformed, transforming his son's health. And so he felt desperate and he just said, what can I do? And out of his desperation, he said, I'm just going to raise a hallelujah to, to the Lord. 
And he began to, to write this song and to worship. And when you sing, I want to raise a hallelujah, the, the reason why it has the impact it has is because it was wrote out of a song. It was a song written out of a place of desperation where this guy had no place else to turn except for God. And see, that's the, the passion that the charismatic movement or the, the, the place where we are today of the intimacy of drawing in to know God in that place to where when nothing else could change or do anything that in your heart would be a place to just lift up a song to him to say no matter what happens, I'm going to raise a hallelujah to you. I'm going to acknowledge who you are. Now, the good news is, is that two-year-old boy, uh, somehow, his, uh, through a touch from God, a miracle, something that the doctors couldn't do, apparently, uh, uh, this young man was touched, and he's a, he's a healthy little boy. And so, out of that song, there comes something powerful. And that's what worship was always intended to be. Worship was always intended to be this powerful connection that we have with God where we acknowledge him in a way that he is brought to a place to where his, his, his focus is on the people who are praising him. Now, you say, well, that seems kind of interesting. Can you prove that out? Oh, yeah, I can prove it out. I'm going to prove it out here in Scripture, not prove it out by my personal experience. But how many of you would say today that you've had some kind of personal encounter or personal experience with God that came through a time of lifting your hands in worship to him? How many of you would say that? And see, so we're doing something good here. We're doing something good to provide you that opportunity. I told the worship team today, when you go out on stage, become invisible. And, 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 and whatever you sing, let it be so demonstrative about who Jesus is, is that the only thing that we see in anyone on stage is who he is. Who he is. And see, that's how we worship him. We worship him by removing us from the equation and letting him be the only equation that operates through our lives. You know, it's interesting. Jesse worshiped the Lord in what he did at work the other day by, finding the, by going to the person that couldn't stand him the most and giving him the best that Jesse had to offer him, and that was Jesus. See, what Jesse had to offer him was not what Jesse... Jesse's a nice guy, I'm sure, in a year's time. If this guy didn't find something nice about Jesse, then, you know, he wasn't looking very hard. But yet, what Jesse did was worshipped his God by saying, I know what you're able to do, and I'm going to bring that worship to somebody else around me. And so I took what I had and I gave it to him, and that's the highest form of worship that you can bring. The highest form of flattery is when you emulate somebody for what they have done. The highest form of praise is when you take that emulation and then you practice it for yourself. And so that's what worship becomes. It becomes this place to where we have the highest form of praise for the one who we love the most. And then through what this God does in us, 
that we begin to not only sing what we want to sing to him, but we begin to practice what we're singing by going out and being this God to other people in accentuating his kingdom throughout the earth. These are the highest forms of worship. So as we've progressed in worship over the years, I was just thinking how we started out with the Maranatha music. And uh, I, I can remember all of the cassette tapes we had for the integrity worship. That, that, that's what my girls grew up on. They would put their little white dresses. That's when we did tambourines and all of that kind of stuff. And they'd march around in their you know, uh, uh, white dresses with their tambourines and singing the integrity music songs. And then came the vineyard experience. And the vineyard experience brought us into that place of deepened intimacy, of that place of knowing God personally, and not just knowing him, but experiencing him. And then came the hill songs and the Jesus culture and the gateways and the elevation music and the Bethel musics. And quite frankly, all of the last ones that I just spoke of owe their entire existence to the Maranathas and the integrity musics. Because they are the ones that created the segue, the pathway for what we do in worship in these days that we are currently in. We live in an exciting time to worship God. I know that many of you are completely aware of the two tragedies that have happened within the last 24 hours, and we need to continue to look to heaven and worship the one who is able to do something desperately that's needed in a nation who is turning its back on him. But we cannot be those who just allow the circumstances to wear us down. We have got to be those who stand and lift our hands to the only king who is able to do exceedingly more than we can ever imagine. We have to continue to worship and to praise him and allow him to be enthroned in the praises of his people because where God's praises are is where he is, according to the Bible. So we have got to continue to raise a hallelujah to our king. So how do we do this? Why do we do this? And why have we chosen the format in which we do what we do? Look at Psalm 95 with me for a moment. And I want to continue to talk about the progression of worship for just a moment. And I want to just look at uh, the words of Psalm 95. Psalm 95 verse 1 says, Oh, come. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Verse 2 says, let us come before his presence with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Verse 3 says, for the Lord is the great God and the great king above all the earth. The psalmist is moving from a place of thanksgiving and he's moving to a place of praise, a place of acknowledgement. What are we acknowledging? That the Lord is the great king and the great king above all gods. In his hands are the deep places of the earth. 
The heights of the hills are also his. In other words, great is our God, greatly to be praised. What are we praising? That he is the God who has created all things. And he's worthy to be praised in a different place. How many of you, even uh, just remotely, you drive through and see all of God's amazing creation and it just does something to you? It just changes you. When, how many of you have, have been to the, the Rockies or you've been to uh, the Smokies or you've been to the ocean and you wake up early and you go to the ocean and you look at the sun coming up and you watch the waves come only so far because that's what God has created the waves to do. You have a right to come, but only so far. You, you have a right to look out, but wait till you see the sun come up. These are things that a great king brings to his people. We've uh, fleshed out uh, Ephesians chapter 1 so many times that uh, I believe that when God was creating all of these things, that he had you in mind, that when you would see the things that he created, that it would draw you to a place of acknowledging him because you knew that only God could do what was done in that instance. You know, I, I told you guys several times when, when we were in Nepal, we took that flight on Buddha Air and we went to, I know, Buddha Air. I was thinking, I don't even know if I want to get on this plane, but it was the only plane, so we did, and I shandied the whole time when we first got there. I have a ritual when I get on planes. Father God, in Jesus' name, I give this plane to you. I ask your warring angels to surround this plane. I pray that every mechanical part will work. Give the pilots wisdom to find clear air. So, see, this fear that I used to have has brought me in to be a great prayer warrior over these airplanes. And so I prayed over Buddha air as well because I wanted to see Mount Everest at its highest peak, 29,003 feet. I wanted to see the highest peak in the world. And when I got to the place to where the pilot said that we're beginning to circle Everest and this, you know, is the highest peak, just this weeping just came over me. And uh, to acknowledge that the God of the universe had cut Mount Everest out and created a time for me to see it. See, worship is about appreciating the God who's done these things for you. And when we worship God out of that realm of appreciation, something happens to the way we sing. Something happens to the way we dance. Something happens to the way we acknowledge him. And it's only in that place of worship. How many of you have had times I, I have? There's times if I didn't think you all thought I'd lost my mind, I would just do cartwheels across. And they wouldn't be very pretty cartwheels, but I would do them anyway across the, the front of the altar here. I wish that uh, uh, I could jump higher than I jump. Because sometimes when I jump, I feel like I, I want to jump to touch him in the expression. See, when we understand who we're worshiping. It not only transforms the trajectory of how we worship, but it removes the things that are there to limit the things that we worship. Amen? How many of you realize that the enemy doesn't want you worshiping God in that kind of passion? It says, the sea is his and he made it, and his hands 
He, he formed the dry land. And then the psalmist transitions into worship. And he says this, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you will hear his voice, listen, verse 8 says, Do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, as in the day of the trials of the wilderness. So we see in Psalm 95, we see the three facets of what we do and why we do them. The first thing about worship is, is to create a place of thanksgiving. To come to a place to where in your heart you just acknowledge God for who he is and you come to a place of thanksgiving. Turn with me, if you would, just a page in my Bible to Psalm 100 and let's look at, at this again in the idea of what the psalmist says about thanksgiving. The psalmist says, oh, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. There's the shout again. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with what? Singing. This is why we do what we do. We come before the Lord with singing. There's great songs that are written through the, through the Psalms and through people's passion and through people's experiences. And that's why we sing. Come before his presence. Come before his what? His presence. Come before his presence with singing. There's something about understanding that it's in his presence that we experience these things. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, so what do we do in verse 4? We enter his gates with thanksgiving. And then we enter his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to how many generations? To all generations. Now this is not a good fact for most worship leaders that his truth endures to all generations because all generations have worshipped in different aspects. And so we as a body must take every aspect of what we have done over the years and not just transition out of what was special to certain people at certain times. And there's a super maturity in the idea of the big picture of worship that we work very hard to, to come to at, at the Redeemer's Church. Turn with me, if you would, to, in Psalm 26. So we want to enter his courts with thanksgiving. Now, I've learned something very dear in my life, that one of the greatest attributes that I can have in my life personally is a heart of gratitude, is a heart of thanksgiving. When you lose your heart of gratitude, when you lose your heart of thanksgiving, you uh, give up something to the enemy that is always going to just allow you to see the negative things in life. But when you spend each day in a place of gratitude and thanksgiving, at the first part of the day giving thanks to God, usually through some form of singing and worship, it transforms your attitude for the entire 24-hour period. Worship is powerful. Singing in a place of gratitude is powerful. 
Bringing your heart into a place of thanksgiving is a powerful source. And so when we come into that place of worshiping God, we want to thank him. We want to bring a, a heart of gratitude. We want to come into that place to where we corporately sing him a song out of a heart that is a heart that says, thank you for who you are. And so in Psalm 26, the psalmist writes, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart, for your loving kindness is before my eyes, and I have walked in your truth. I have not sat with idolatrous mortals, nor do I go uh, in with hypocrites. I have hated the assembly of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocence, and so I will go about your altar, O Lord, that I may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works." See, when we come into that place of thanksgiving, we come into that place of acknowledging him because he's worthy to be praised. So we enter uh, his gates with thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? We, and if you envision that, it's like coming into the sanctuary. You open the gates of the sanctuary and then you come in. With God, thanksgiving is what opens the gate for his presence to come alive. So we open the gates to this place where God is. We, and he allows us to come in because thanksgiving is the key that unlocks the gate to God's heart. That's why it's important to do those things. That's why it's important to sing joyfully, to shout joyfully, and to come into the place where we worship God with the heart of thanksgiving. Write this down because I'm not going to be able to give this to you, but Hebrews 12, 28 uh, talks about that very thing. And so depending on what version you have, it talks about coming into God through a place of grace. That word grace means thankfulness. And so we want to come into that place of God with thankfulness. The, the second thing we want to do is enter his courts with praise. The, the, the praise comes in verse 3 because he's a great God and a great king above all the earth. Turn with me to Psalm 145. As uh, I just read uh, a couple brief scriptures here, it says, I will extol you, O my God and King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Listen to this. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Turn with me to Psalm 146. Go over. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist is saying, in the depth of who I am in my being, I want to lift a praise unto who God is. Do not put your trust in princes. It's, oh, let me go back. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. In other words, as long as I am alive, the thing that I'm going to do is bring gratitude to my king. Turn with me to Psalm 22 real briefly, because this is why I, I said to you, I can prove that when we sing, God comes, that when we praise him, he, he's with his people. It says, but you are holy and you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. 
Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered to them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. The verb enthroned indicates that wherever God's people exalt his name, he is ready to manifest his kingdom power in that circumstance. Come on, somebody, that ought to make you shout. That when we praise God, when he becomes enthroned in those praises, that he is ready to manifest that part of his kingdom that shows who he is in an appropriate way, in an appropriate setting to invade the place where we are to release something that we need. How many of you realize that just, as I've said before, just one touch from the king changes everything? Just one touch from God can transform your life uh, and you'll never, ever be the same. Never be the same. But see, how does God come? He comes in that place to where we are praising him for who he is. And now we've walked in through the gates with thanksgiving. And now the Bible says we enter his courts with praise. So we've walked through the place of his gates and now we're into that intimate place that as we praise him, the Bible says he's enthroned in the midst of those praises and then he comes and shows himself alive and real. Come on now, that ought to be an exciting time for us. Sometimes, you know, when people say, how long do you guys worship? And it's like, you know, I want to say we worship till he comes. <laughs> you know, we sing until he shows up because why would I want to stop? I want him to be enthroned in our praises. Why? Because I want him to show himself real. Can I have the worship team just come back uh, right now as I finish up my, my third point? The third thing that it says in Psalm 95 is it talks about worshiping him. Gratitude opens the gates, okay? Gratitude, thanksgiving opens the, the gates. Praise brings us into that place of his courts. Now listen to me. And when you enter his courts, you see him in a way you never saw him before. You experience him in a way that words cannot describe. We worship the beauty of his holiness, and there is not enough words or adjectives to describe the holiness of God. But when you get into that place, you become, turn with me to Revelations chapter 4, as I close today. Boy, I hope somebody's as excited as I am today about thanking God and coming and understanding. I, I, tomorrow morning when you wake up, begin to thank him. And then visualize in your mind going through a gate. And you, you got to do this. Visualize in your mind going through a gate and saying, I am welcome into the residency of my king. My thankfulness. God, I thank you for this. I thank you for that. I thank you for the other. I thank you for breath. And then just turn the handle and go into that place. 
And then when you get into that place, just begin to praise him like you've never praised him before because you've entered into the courts now where God exists. And when you get into that place of the courts, I'm telling you, when you see how amazing he is, the only thing that is left to do is to bow down before him. Because we're coming into the presence of our Savior. And he is amazing. This is why we worship like we do. If you ever wondered why, because we want to end in that place of our worship to where we experience the holiness of this God who we call our King. Would you all stand with me? Revelations chapter 4 says this. It talks about a place in the throne room of heaven. And it talks about all of those who are in this place of the throne room. And then in verse 8 it says, The four living creatures, each having six wings and full of eyes around within, and they do not rest day or night. Why? Because they have one job, and it's to worship God 20, well, I don't know what the time frame is up there. I, there ain't no time frame up there. And, and I, keep, I keep saying, guys, our 45-minute worship services are just preparations for the 450-hour worship services that you're going to experience in heaven. So... Be okay with the practice on the 45 because the ones up there are going to last a lot longer. Why? Because you're going to be in the most intimate situation with Him. You're going to experience what you've went through to get to that place of living with Him forever. And He is going to make it worth your while. And that's why you're going to want to just worship Him for days at a time. Because you're going to find out just how worthy He is. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Let's say that together. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Amen. The idea of worshiping means to bow down and to kiss the one that you're worshiping. To prostrate oneself, bow down, to show reverence, to do homage. You know what? 
We don't know how to do this this day because we're all fighting for our own identity. And we just don't know how to give honor to anything anymore, let alone God. But we have got to remain vigilant as believers. We've got to enter his gates with thanksgiving, come into his courts with praise, and bow down when we get into those courts and say, thank you, God. Woo! We shout praise to you today, God. We just don't sing to sing. We sing to open gates. We sing to get into the courts. We worship to know him like we've never known him before. You are good, Lord. Come on, let's praise him. He is worthy. Come on, let's get into those courts with praise. Hallelujah.